0: Hi everyone, this is Izzy, the founder of the blog and YouTube channel, A Girls to Sound Sense. You are currently listening to Sounding Out, the podcast where I speak to friends, from musicians to producers to zine makers and promoters, about their experiences as women and queer femme people in the music industry. As always, please don't forget to give the podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It would be super helpful to help more people hear the podcast, and it will also get me recommended on streaming platforms. Today, I am so excited to be joined by Dr. Jennifer Otter Bickerdyke, a multi-hyphenate legend and a familiar name in pop culture. Jen is a rock and roll cultural historian, academic professor, and the author of several best-selling books, including Why Vinyl Matters, The Secular Religion of Fandom, you Are Beautiful and You Are Alone, The Biography of Nico, and most recently, Being Brittany, Pieces of a Modern Icon, which is now available for pre-order and will be available in stores on November 11th via 98 Books Publishing. Jen has quite the unique story. She started out as a marketing rep for Sony, Geffen Records, and Interscope Records. In 2001, she decided to drop everything moved to London from Santa Cruz, and got her PhD. She now works as a professor of popular music for one of the largest institutes for creative arts education in Europe. In 2013, she won the coveted student-led teaching award for most innovative lecturer, and was also shortlisted for the same accolade on a national level by the Times Higher Education. In our conversation, Jen and I covered a wide range of topics. We discuss the best Britney album of all time, gush over Shirley Manson from garbage, unpack how Jen pieced together a long breadcrumb trail in order to accurately report on Nico's life story in her Nico biography, and we also discuss how a conversation with Henry Rollins inspired Jen to become a full-time writer. Getting to have this conversation was quite a big deal for me, as Jen has been one of my number one inspirations since I started writing about music in college, and I thoroughly enjoyed her company. But before we get into this episode, I would like to remind my listeners that I am paying for the podcast out of pocket, so if you would like to help me make more episodes and maybe help buy me a copy, then head on over to my Patreon for unedited episodes of the podcast and more chill conversations with guests outside of the interview process. Those who join my Patreon will get access to patron-only video essays and exclusive voting power for future artists that I cover on my YouTube channel as well. So head on over to patreon.com slash girls2soundsense, that's girl with three R's, to subscribe and without further ado let's get right into this episode
1: hey girl hey what's up i'm so sorry i'm shoving food in my face really quickly it's been one of those fucking days where like i have no time to do anything do i have time to eat this apple really quick before we get going is that okay go ahead go ahead
0: of course (laughs) Excuse me. I, I apologize for messing up the times.
1: Um, oh, you're just excited. I, it's all good. Yeah, Lizzie's just hardcore. That's all.
0: No, 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 no. The reason why I guess I logged on early was just to make sure I didn't mess up the times because I've the last time I had to meet with somebody who was in the UK, based in the UK, I messed up the time and was late.
1: Something like that happened to me. I did do an interview in Australia. I got the times wrong, and I ended up. They got. They, they called me in the middle, like in the middle of the night because I got the day and everything wrong. I ended up doing the fucking interview like in the, like literally. I was like, they sent me an, a thing going, "You've not answered your call. Um, you're on air in seven minutes," and I like did fucking live TV dog like in my pajamas. So I totally get it. Don't even worry about it.
0: Did you have a fun uh, All Hallows' Eve?
1: Um, if you call taking my husband into the emergency dentist, yeah, it was oh fucking God. raging. What, what <laughs> to
0: your husband's dental situation?
1: He, um, he is scared of the dentist. He's not been to the dentist. I kid you not, in twenty years, and he had a wisdom tooth that was fucked up. And so he he waited till it was like so painful he could like not move. And then yes, Thomas trying to make this looks good for you. Is this is is this video? By the way, is this a video podcast? Uh, no, uh, no, it's just going to be oh. audio. Okay, so that work about that, then. Good. okay, good, 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 so I was like, trying to make up it look nice, but I won't so it's just you and I um he um he he this like yeah, he's waited till it was like so unbearable that like he was in pain and couldn't do anything, so that ended up being yesterday, so that's what we did. He went to the emergency dentist. what did you do? did you do anything fun I,
0: um, so actually funny, um, I do this thing every year where I challenge myself to find out who I can emulate out of an assortment of clothes that I already have in my closet. Oh, I love that. And so I have a picture here. <laughs> yeah, you have to show me. I was uh, Nikolai from the
1: Strokes. Oh my God. I love that. That's so good. <laughs> I, love, I love how you even you're like, you know what? This clothing combination equals Nikolai from the Strokes. Like who would even think that, by the way? Like, that's that's the most brilliant part about it, is you're like, it's Nikolai. Hello? Like, this is clearly Nikolai.
0: Yeah. I um wanted to ask you, what's your favorite Britney album of all time?
1: Okay. So my favorite Britney album is Blackout. I think it's completely underrated. And if anyone but Britney Spears would have put that record out, it would be hailed as, like, genre ba- breaking classic genius. I think now people are starting to come around to it, but that record is just so badass in every single way. And the fact it's Britney Spears being like, "I'm going to dip into all these different sounds and different producers and different people to have on the record" makes it that much more brave and crazy and cool and shows one thing that Britney I think never gets the love for that she deserves is being an artist herself. That was something that really came out when I was working on the book is that people seem to always think, well, you know, she's this manufactured person. Britney is an artist, and if they could have made another Britney Spears, they being the corporate music machine, they would have. They've tried. There's only one Britney Spears, and I think Blackout is a great example of how unique and wonderful and talented she is as a creator. Agreed. That's also my favorite album. Yeah, girl. So yeah, Blackout, I think, is a great example of that. And just even her the and everything about that record, not just the music, but the cover photos, I think are cool. The ends, if you open it up, her with the priest, it is totally like an homage to Madonna. Oh, but yeah. I like that about it because it's like her saying, you know what, I'm going to push the boundaries of stuff. I'm going to just I'm gonna make you question everything, and I love that about it. I love that about Britney. I'm not gonna be your good little girl that you want me to be anymore. I'm gonna try to yeah. explore who I am, and I think that Blackout is such a great example of that.
0: I agree. Yeah, all the produce, and I love. You can tell that they were just kind of tinkering around with that mm-hmm. album, and all all the producers she worked with were amazing, like the Neptunes, Bloodshy, and Avon, and all those people, and the fact that she made this super abrasive, that album was so ahead of its time. When you mm-hmm. listen to x e x XCX, Hyperpop Now, and even some power electronics, like, I don't know, freaking Pharmacon or something. I, I'm always like, this sounds like Blackout. It's mm-hmm. so underrated. You're right.
1: And also, I think, again, like, this is the thing, like, I got my first review yesterday or, er, yeah, Sunday, I got my first review for the Britney book. And this is the huge thing about britney that just drives me absolutely insane is show me another artist that has the cultural impact of britney spears probably since elvis and the beatles like you're gonna be hard pressed to show me someone that's had the staying power that's had. If we just take the person Britney Spears out, we just the brand and the impact of Britney, you know, look at her perfume empire. Look how she's transformed Vegas. Look how she transcends. She transcends presidents. She transcends the the era from brick and mortar stores to the digital time we're in now. I does no one else like that. And yet, the thing that's so absolutely frustrating to me is that people still seem to not take her seriously. Like, as a businesswoman, as a creator, and that drives me absolutely crazy. Like, it's it, I just don't understand, like, wha- what it is about it. I don't know if it's that she's a woman. I don't know if it's that she's from the South. I don't know if it's the kind of music she makes. But the different points that you're making about that particular record really show that even at her lowest point in her personal life, she still was able to kind of cobble together this pastiche of different people that were interesting and look ahead into the future of what was going to be of what was going to be the you know the forebears of music to come and put them all onto one album it's just absolutely incredible that record and i just that's one of the things that was so important to me about writing this book is that i didn't want to be like Brittany, you're the bestest. It had to be, it, I had to be somewhat objective. Brittany is a flawed human being. But the reason that writing this book was so important to me was that I had to be like, okay, let's look at the person, but then let's also look at the socio, sociological, cultural, and economical impact Britney Spears has had. And it's completely unique to anyone else. You cannot, I mean, like I said, maybe the Beatles and maybe Elvis in terms of the way that they've changed culture. There's no other person like Britney Spears. I would say even Madonna, She's surpassed Madonna in terms of like the the perfume and the different other kind of things that she's gone spun off into.
0: Yeah, I fully agree. And I'm so glad that you wrote the, the book from that perspective of somebody who is who understands the importance of objectivity and nuance, but also giving this woman her due and her flowers, which are way overdue, um, mm-hmm. if you ask me. And also, I was going to say another thing, but oh yeah, I love those memes where it's just where it says, Brittany could write yellow submarine, but the Beatles couldn't write toxic. <laughs> well,
1: yeah. I mean, the thing that the, the one thing that is interesting is I sent the book I'm friends of Henry Rollins, who's like an iconic punk, and oh, like yeah. amazing, amazing writer, amazing stand-up, just a great human being in general. And what he said to me, he said, what this book shows is how much America and the media hates women. And it's really, really true because that was, I think it's really a damning, I'm American, I live in Britain, but... It's a damning of America and the way that the we also export our values to the rest of the world. But the way that Britney has been treated, I mean, I cannot believe that she's still alive, to be fair. Like I probably would have killed myself, you know what I mean? And I think it shows how absolutely strong and amazing and just what a survivor. That you word is used a lot and overly used, but It shows what this, there's this rod of strength going through that woman that is just, you have got to take your hat off and praise her for it because uh, the way that she's been treated is just unbearable. Like, I don't think any, I can't think of anyone else that would be able to have, have survived that, to be fair. Like, it's incredible. And that was really what I wanted to show in this book is this evolution of a person and almost the lack of evolution in a lot of ways of the way that we, that women are treated and that it takes, there's a, a part at the end of the book, the way that the book is made is it's in 40 different, because it's going to be Brittany's 40th birthday, December 2nd, and it's made into 40 short chapters. So it, it goes Timeline-wise, through Britney's life, but like 40 little different episodes and stories about her life. And it's really about how Britney is a cultural touchpoint to all these different little different things that happen. So, for example, one of the ones that I thought was um, my favorite to write, because it was so disturbing, was when Britney goes and has the testimony, testimony on June 23rd in court about how her father and the conservatorship is still controlling her body in so many ways, especially how she has to have the, uh, the the IUD to control her getting pregnant or not. And that, to me, just had complete and utter handmaid's tale type stuff all over it. And it started making me look at... The fact that there's in America, there is still laws that the law can... There's there's laws that can make women sterile still in America. You look at Texas, what's happening Mm -hmm. with the right to choose laws. And the fact that it takes Britney... This is the thing that kind of is interesting to me. It takes Britney Spears talking about it for us to talk about it as a society. But then if you look at what's the news about Britney now... I think what's really sad is instead of focusing on her as a touchpoint for change, it's like, oh, well, Brittany called Sam her boyfriend instead of her fiancé. Or, oh, Brittany's abs. It's like, why don't we look at Brittany as this provocateur of change and empowerment? Why are we going, we're, we're going right back to like, just her as a, as just an avatar and the way she looks, instead of her as this person that is a really great role model for people, and that I think is very, very frustrating. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. It, it it's aggravating mm. to even think about, you know. And you said you wrote something similar in your Joy Devotion book about how oh. the news of Amy Winehouse. <laughs>
1: You're so cute passing. that you even know that book. You're so cute that you even know that book.
0: <laughs> I like to do research. <laughs> it's one of my favorite pastimes. i am That's not even a joke. Uh, it seriously is. But you say something similar in that book about Amy Winehouse and how her passing just overshadowed and glossed over all the other atrocities going on on the mm. planet and how Tragic that really is when you mm-hmm. really think about it. And a lot of it was also glorifying and almost romanticizing her plight because she was, how she was part of the 27 Club, which that's a ho- like, I don't even want to open that Pandora's box. But, <laughs> you know, it's, I enjoy how you write about this stuff from a very critical and very academic scholarly viewpoint. And because that's exactly the way I think. And mm-hmm. your work, um, I'm about to go off on a fangirl tangent here, but you're oh,
1: that's girl, why, you to go off on that as much as you want. <laughs>
0: but that's why your work really inspired me. Uh because I would see you as a talking head in some of these rock docs. And that was how I found your books. And I was wondering if you would be interested in talking about how you initially started out as someone who did marketing for major artists and then decided to make a left turn or start a new chapter and move to London and focus more on your writing. Would you be interested in telling me a little about that?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, it's very, very kind of you to say that. And I literally... One of my idols is Shirley Manson from Garbage. And I just was telling her last night that what's so frustrating is that a big part of what I do is because I want to show young women like you that like you can write, you can have a voice, you can make change in the world. I want to be a role model. I want to inspire other other young women. And I want to inspire women my own age. You know, I'm 49 years old. And I think we're really told... That if your dream doesn't happen by the time you're 25 or 30, that you're, like, on the on the garbage pile. You know what I mean? Like, you can reinvent and, be your, and f- keep figuring out who you are until you are dead, basically. Like, there's no time stamp on changing and evolving who you are. It's like, you put that on yourself. But I was saying to Shirley last night is that I just am, like, how it's hard to put yourself out there and like how just hearing you say that makes me feel really good because it's difficult to put yourself out there over and over and over again because when you put every time you put yourself out in the world you're allowing yourself to be open for criticism people that don't understand and i've been trolled and this that and the other so to hear that from you makes me feel really really good so thank you very much for saying that of
0: course. um
1: but what i did is when i was i went to olympic trials for swimming when i was 16 and that was what I thought I really, really, really wanted to do. And then I didn't make it. I came in fourth and they took the top three people. And I was just like, "What?" that's my whole identity is swimming. But what swimming did is it trained me to be like, and I actually went swimming the other day. I'd not been swimming in probably a year plus, but I realized that like what swimming does is it's like, that's the goal, whether it's like, this is the workout you have for that day or you're training for this event. And it just allowed me to have this, my boss calls it like, you just, show me what the goal is, you wind me up and I just go for it. And that's kind of my way of doing things. Like, I have, if I have the plan, I'll go for it. So the next thing I did is I'm like, what am I into? I'm super into music. Like, I started putting on shows in my hometown of Santa Cruz. Um, when I went away to uni, I, and, and I got a job. I got picked out of 300 people to be the college rep for Sony. So you can imagine this is like the early 90s. So I was driving Pearl Jam around. I was hanging out with Nirvana. It's like your dream if you're like a kid, especially at that time period. You know what I mean? Um, that's how I got started. And then uh, I eventually decided, I, is this too much detail or is this good? No, no, keep going. At the time, the really cool late record label to work for was Interscope Records. It had just really, like we had Jimmy Iovine, it had Dr. Dre. It just had all these interesting artists and it was really, really about artists. And so I literally told um, the head of marketing at Interscope, I said, I want to work here, whatever it takes. So I started sending her all of my stuff, like even though I I wasn't even working in Interscope, I started sending her like all of the random stuff I was doing at another record label. And when I was 24, they hired me to be the West Coast marketing director. So that's how I got that job. And I did that. Um, I did that. And I worked at Interscope for about eight years. I did that. And then I left to go help Gwen Stefani start her uh, handbag line. And then this is the part that people never ask me about. like. I broke my arm um and I ended and I couldn't work for Gwen anymore. And in America, they don't have health insurance. So suddenly I went from having this very, very uh glamorous lifestyle and job, having an expense account, to I'm completely unemployed. I have a huge hospital bill, and I could not get employed anywhere. Like I was applying to be like a toilet, um like a, a like a toilet attendant at Posh Nightclubs, and they wouldn't hire me because they're looking at my resume going, head of marketing in Airscope Records, Gwen Stefani, and now you want to be a toilet assistant? Like, I don't think so. Like, I remember going to Banana Republic, the clothing store, trying to be a sales associate, and they're like, no, like, I could not get hired anywhere. So I went from, like, being this really, like, aspirational job to, like, could not get hired to work in a bathroom, literally, Um, and... At that point, I just was like, what am I doing? So I went back to get my master's. I got, I started a master's at San Francisco State. And um, I did that and eventually decided to get my PhD. And the way that I ended up moving to London was one of my... I was working at Facebook. So eventually I did get a job. I was working at Facebook, getting my master's. And one of my friends I'd grown up with was murdered, not far from my house in San Francisco. And after that, I was just like, life is too short to be like to be working constantly and so i sold everything i own and i moved here to get a phd because i'd always wanted to live in england and that's how i ended up here that's the very long version of it was that too it's mm-hmm. probably too long feel free to no, edit that no, no, no no
0: no um yeah that's i'm really glad that you mentioned the fact that um you you know you, str- you people struggle to get to where they are mm. and it isn't easy even if you start out doing something that seems like your dream and, you know, you're totally right. I've just graduated college and now I'm going through an existential crisis every day, Mm. you know?
1: Of course.
0: (laughs) Who am I? What do I want? What is life? And...
1: Have you seen The Graduate with Dustin Hoffman? Yeah. That part where he, like, just jumps in the pool and he goes to the bottom and he's just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, that is just, like... And I think that even now, like with kids your age, I think nothing really, there still is this expectation that like at 25, this, this, and this is going to be set up for you at 30, this, this, and this, even if like everybody's like, oh, at 30, you know, nobody's married. Nobody has kids. Nobody owns a house. I still think there is this societal expectation that some of these kind of goalposts are going to be, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're going to have that. Like if you go to Thanksgiving, you're probably what, 22 now? Yeah. Yeah. So, if you go to Thanksgiving and like you don't have a partner, you're not sure what you're doing with your job, maybe this year it'll be okay. Next year, if you go, they'll be like, "Mm." if you go by the time you're 25, if you're not like on some path that your family can understand, that's when shit will start going, okay, something, what's wrong? What's wrong here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that sucks because it's just like, what you start, that's the societal expectation that. Your parents and your family also probably had drilled into them. It has nothing really to do with you or what's going to make you happy. You know, Exactly. and that's what you have to kind of break out of that part right there is what you need to try to figure out, like, what's going to make me happy, whether it's, you know, working at a donkey rescue place or if it's traveling or if it's being a badass podcaster, like whatever it is. And I think that's the hardest part is like tuning out that expectation and tuning into yourself. Absolutely. That's that's the hardest part, though is, is, is to, is to do that. And that's something that I have to do all the time now still is like, okay, like strip all of it away. What is really the most important thing to me? You know what I mean? And that most important thing can change as time goes by. Like now, when I think that I'm like, what are the most important things to me? And I'm like, really the most important things there's like personal and professional, like personal hanging out with my husband, hanging out with my dog, being able to, to go to the beach and swim and work out. And then professionally, it's like If I have to have a job, it's like being an educator, being an advocate for women, being able to tell women's stories from like a new contextual viewpoint. Like those are the things that are important to me. And those, if I just kind of like keep focusing on that, then everything else kind of falls away. You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. I love that. Another question I have is when is the first time you can recall music transforming your life in a significant way?
1: I would say I've been into music since I was like three or four years old, but so it's always been really important to me. But when I was actually at university, I um, discovered The Smiths and it was like no other band I'd ever heard before. It just I'd always been into music, like I said, like since I was a very young kid. But The Smiths, just something about the music, the lyrics, everything about it, the art, it captured the way i felt inside in a way that i couldn't express for myself and i remember james kramer gave me a tip ta- in the dorms gave me a tape that it was like a tape that something else had already been on so there was like you're listening to the tape of this it was the Smiths strange ways here we come and there was like an echo of whatever had been on the tape before so you kind of like hear it between songs whatever was on the tape before You <laughs> random like <laughs> whatever it was and then it'd be strange ways. And I remember I listened to that tape, like I'd fall asleep listening to that tape. I'd wake up, listen to that tape, like 24 fucking seven for the first, probably like month. That's all I listened to. And like, like probably for the first year I discovered the Smiths, I would only listen to the Smiths. And sometimes I would take a break and be like, okay, I'm gonna take a break from the Smiths. And I'm gonna listen to Morrissey, who's the lead singer from the Smiths. I'm gonna listen to some of his solo stuff. That was my taking a break from the Smiths. Or Johnny Marr, who's the guitarist for the Smiths. I'm gonna listen to some things Johnny Marr worked on. So that was like my complete obsession. And I can say hand on heart, I would have probably killed myself if it was not for the Smiths. So like. They were that important of a band to me. And it was funny because earlier this year, I got to interview Johnny Marr and it was weird because it was like on Zoom, like it is right now with you and me. And here's someone that like his what his art just changed the trajectory of my life. Like I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him. And he and I are just talking, joking around, talking about, you know, making sourdough bread. I'm talking shit about different people we both know. And then I just am like, I mean, I'm sure he's heard it millions of times by now. I'm just like, you saved my life. And he's like, Oh yeah, thank you very much. Because what is he going to say? But, you know, it's it's pretty it's pretty intense, like what a band or a song can do for you, for sure. What was the what what band has done that for you? Good question.
0: This is a super cliche answer, but I would say Nirvana. Mm. And I feel like that's true for a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. I watched uh, the Kurt Cobain doc montage of heck. uh when I was in high school and that was when I, the first time I started really getting immersed in the context, the contextual history and culture of a scene Mm -hmm. um, or as, as they call it. Um, But yeah. And, and also a lot of whole records, too. I feel like Courtney, no matter what Courtney Love has done or said, I have to divorce the work from the person in that sense because she, her music really pulled me from the rut there. I mean, I, like, I can't, you know, I can't lie. I don't think I would have survived uh, the hellish pits of girlhood if it wasn't
1: for Live Through This. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people share that feeling about Courtney. So I I understand that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. Yeah. I think Nirvana is an important band to a lot of people.
0: Definitely. And I love how they really sort of bust the door down for that sound at the time. No one believed that a band like that could be played on MTV. And that's just so... Fucking cool that they made it that to that those heights you know
1: no absolutely I mean I take Michael Jackson down too it was crazy absolutely crazy it's crazier now to me that the way that they've been memorialized is not how it was at that time but that's a whole different that's a whole different podcast girl um but yes I, I love that you love Nirvana that's really cool
0: yeah I totally get what you're saying though about how a celebrity's image becomes mythologized after they die at a certain age.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then there's people cashing in on it and all that ugly stuff. But yeah, like you said, a whole other can of worms. Uh, and so I also wanted to mention that I really loved that story about Keith Collins Horn Church is that how you pronounce his name in mm-hmm. the Britney book I think that's a very heartwarming tale of how fandom to outsiders might seem silly but we all have at least one person in our lives that we would follow to the end of the earth someone who stands in place of this religious icon I was chatting with Pat Flagel from Cindy Lee a few weeks ago. And one of the things they said to me was, you know, I think celebrity worship is kind of dumb, but I can't help it. In the absence of God, we worship other people. And I thought that was very, very apt. And I know that you are also an unapologetic self-proclaimed fangirl, which I love. (laughs) And I was wondering what you would say are some of the biggest similarities and discrepancies between fandom and religious worship
1: Hmm. i would say that they definitely hold the same place especially now because if we look at the attendance at traditional venues of religious worship aka synagogues mosques and uh, churches, especially synagogues and churches, the attendance in the Western world is dropping significantly. And if within America, for example, the certain different kinds of Christianity are going to be extinct in the next 30 years if the drop in participants uh, continues the way at the rate that it's going right now. On the flip side of that, you have the way that we're connected for, via the internet. That is, of course, accelerating, going up and up and up and up and up. And what's happened is it's normalized now. You see this a lot on Twitter or on different social networking platforms where it's normalized now to have an obsession or to have a fixation on specific celebrities and to hold them in that same kind of place of worship that you would have previously held a more traditional sort of godlike figure. So, you know, if you think about People Do people really... One of the things I talk about in the book is the show Chaotic that Britney Spears did with Kevin Fenderling in the early days of that relationship and how that just got universally panned because one of the things about that show was that it was kind of like the real Britney. Like it was Britney discovering her sexuality, Britney talking about her sexuality, Britney without all the stage costumes, Britney dressing like girls did at that moment Britney being a young woman and people did not want to see the real Britney, you know? So I bring that up. People like that idealized version of Britney and the Britney that they can project themselves onto as well. So when you're looking at things that are similar, if we think about a God, you know, because we can't interact in terms of we can't sit here and be like, so God, how's this outfit today? Or God, you have a big zit, those kind of little kind of small things. It's that same sort of projection. And we can create God in an image that suits us in a lot of ways. And, you know, something that I write about in some of my other books, it's not in Brittany, is the idea of kind of like a a pick and mix or salad bar ideas of religion is something that's quite popular now. And that you kind of take what you want from Christianity or whatever, and you leave behind what doesn't suit you. So for example, like I grew up in the Catholic church and like, I'm a hundred percent like pro choice. I'm a hundred percent any sexuality. I don't care. You know what I mean? So I, you could say like, if you, if you pushed me and said, okay, what religion are you? I probably would say Catholic, but I'm very much of that. I choose the things that it works for me. Like I like the, I like the um, pop and circumstance of Catholicism, but I I'm absolutely at a huge disagreement with some of the some of the kind of the beliefs in it. So in terms of answering your question, I think that one of the reasons we have people like Brittany being so important to us is because they fill that void that traditional religion previously would have held for us.
0: Yeah. How you speak to um, Megan Radford and Kevin Wu and Free Brittany L.A. and mentioned Jordan Miller with his Britney blog and everything to fans. It's not a fucking joke. And Mm -hmm. that's what I really loved about the way you wrote about Britney was that you come from a place where you have been that person who has, who is a big fan girl and who does understand what it's like when these people care enough, about someone they've never met to fight for their fundamental human rights.
1: I'm really happy that I'm really happy that came across because I mean, the free Britney thing is a weird one for me because I both have so much admiration for them. I absolutely adore the free Britney LA guys that I know guys and gals. I know love Megan Radford. Like is she, she lived in london i've already told her i'm all bitch please if i move to where you are girl that best friend better move over because i'm gonna be in that in her place um but i think it's a hard one because part of me is like i don't i understand like how because there was points in my life where if someone said someone has morrissey or johnny marr from the smiths locked up i'd be like i'm gonna go free that like i would have been exactly the same way you know what i mean But the flip side of that is there's other things now that I think are so important that I'm like, why is this the most important thing to you? Like there's so many other to me pressing issues, but that's me imposing what's important to me onto someone else. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think because of what we just talked about, Brittany to them has filled that role for them that something else has not. So therefore, she is that most important thing that you would go to. You would fight. People die for their religions for hundreds of thousands of years, the same sort of thing that they're talking about, you know. Um, What's more troubling to me, I think, is the fact that the press keeps reverting back to this, like we're talking about, like, Britney looks hot in her red bikini. Well, let's talk about how Britney's been treated for the last 13 years. Let's talk about Britney's sexual, the fact that Britney's sexual rights have been in lockdown. And like, that let's keep that conversation going instead. Instead of it just, it's like it's kind of like we're reverted back to like the mid two thousands. That's really frustrating. I but agree. I, yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate the whole spectacle of it, where it's like, look how awful this is. Mm-hmm. What she revealed in her testimony, and then there's nothing after that. No follow up. Exactly. We'll just go on exactly. with our and forget about it.
1: Exactly. 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 That's just it. That's just it. Exactly. What was your favorite part of the Britney book? The part about Keith, uh
0: the fan who was donated it? the collection to the museum in her hometown, Kentwood. Yeah.
1: It did it didn't make it into the book, but Keith was um he was actually deaf. Yeah. There's like, like a sentence in there, I think, about it. But he was born deaf. And so the whole thing is, is like it and it, we talk a little bit about it, but because of just time and stuff, he was born he was deaf. And I think it was what's really interesting, and I hope it comes across the way that we did it in the book, is it's like Brittany allowed him to become free like britney represented freedom to, to him and i think him going to her concerts him being into the, the whole britney experience was kind of if you would like the entryway for him starting to do things on his own and busting out so like his sister-in-law and his brother were talking about how he went on all these trips and he was traveling doing all this cool stuff and britney i think was the was the catalyst that allowed that to happen. And so like they were talking about like at his funeral, people were like, Oh, the poor little deaf boy didn't get to live. Brittany helped him live. And like the horrible irony there is he was living as she's getting locked down as she's not being allowed to live. And that's mm-hmm. the horrible, like beauty in it's like beautiful in a tragic, horrible way. Like she allows him to live just as, she's not being allowed to live. And that, that part, I hope that that comes across somewhat in the what made it into the book. But yeah, that was his, his sister-in-law um, is great, as is his brother. They're beautiful people. And I was really honored that they spoke to me. So yeah. I'm glad that you liked that part.
0: Yeah, it was very touching. And I also feel like this is a good segue into my Nico question because oh. I absolutely adored that biography as well. And oh, thank you. I loved how you were, it was very clear that you were willing to give her agency over her own voice back. Because if there's one pattern I've noticed which really was really frustrating to witness over any retelling or biography of Nico over the past several decades was that everyone was more than willing to allow her inner circle to speak for her which was mostly men and that was just something that really just especially in that oh oops, in that icon a Nico icon documentary I remember that snippet where her old friend what's his name Carlos what's his face was like like, oh is he yeah like oh she played this game of being a lesbian or maybe she was genuinely attracted to one to women Carlos you know um but I loved how you were so passionate about giving her that agency because especially since she's no longer alive to speak for herself, you know, and I was wondering what drove you to wrote to write about her in particular.
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy that you love that book. That book was a lot of work to do. And the reason I wanted to do the book is exactly what why you're, you know, what you've pointed out here. And that is because and actually to be the same thing with this is what saying that Brittany shares as well. It's men that have talked that have told the story of these two women and i think regardless of what you say let there's just something about the experience of being a woman that you just especially i have to say this too is is that writing these two books back to back and they have been back to back like i started writing britney and i was finishing editing nico at the very same time so it was pretty intense it's just the amount of misogyny that we live with now, it just is shocking to me. It's been shocking in terms of writing these books, like writing how Nico was treated then, the way she was written about, the kind of interviews that you're talking about, the way people talked about her, the way people still talk about her. Like when I was getting reviews for the book, the way people would talk about the way that in reviews, people would talk about the way I wrote about Nico and Nico herself. I'm just like, are you kidding? Like I did this uh TV interview where I like got on the interview and because it was on zoom and behind her be, like, or behind the, the, cause like, I'm like a little head on zoom and they're like on a TV set. It was like world's biggest uh, groupie. That was like what the headline was. And I'm like, I never would have gone on if I knew that was what it was going to say. But, and there were cool. several different articles about our articles about the book that that, that was mentioned throughout it. And I'm just like, they would never write that about a man. Like, it's just shocking to me. And I think, I said this again to Shirley Manson in my email to her, I'm like, the amount of anger and this incandescent rage I've had over the last, I would say four years was when I started working on Nico, but building up to this point now where it's being reviewed and people, I see what other people, people are not taking the time to really look and see what I'm trying to say. That is very difficult because we're living in this time where we're supposed to be able to talk about sexuality and gender and be more open. But I find like it's almost more misogynist, more rigid, more you can't ask or question or be nice or kind to people. And I think with Nika, it was so important. It's like let's give this woman the benefit of the doubt. Let's look at let's look at the context that she came up in, you know. Let's see like why did she act this way. She wasn't just this racist German iceberg like she had a very difficult life. I'm not excusing different things that she said or did, but I am saying try being raised in born and raised in Nazi Germany and trying to figure that one out which she was the rest of her life and that was really important to me. And in terms of like the thing about her liking liking women or not liking women, I think only Nico could answer that question. And to have someone like Carlos whatever his name is, I know exactly who you're talking about, Try to answer that question, why is he? Why do we even listen to his story? Like why is he even talking about it? You know? um, and in fact, there's tons of stuff that got cut out of the book because that book was twice as long initially. um, but there was a lot of stuff I wrote about. actually. There's a rumor that she had an affair with um Chanel.
0: Mm.
1: and there was it's just fascinating to look at the way that these powerful women. If they have to like society, media, or just I don't even know, those catty people they have to shut yeah. these powerful women down somehow. And if that's like saying, oh, they're lesbians, so that's the way we're going to shut them down, that's bad. Or if it's belittling them, saying they're stupid, like all these things are supposedly seen as negative, we cannot allow a woman to be strong, smart, business savvy dare we say good looking on top of that. Oh, no. You know what I mean? Like these things cannot go together. They can't
0: coexist. We
1: can't possibly.
0: Yeah. What? <laughs>
1: yeah. Exactly. That's just it. They cannot coexist. That's exactly it. I So that's really what I wanted to do with that Nico book. And the fact that you as like a young woman's reading that and that's connecting with you. That makes me absolutely thrilled. It was an absolute heartbreaker to have Shirley Manson, sorry I keep talking about her, but she's someone I really look up to. Me too. To have her, yeah, to have her read that and say to me, I really related to Nico. And to her to say like she cried at parts reading that book, that was very difficult for me to hear because yeah. here's someone that I see as someone I aspire to be like in terms of how smart she is, outspoken, just everything about her. And that she feels that way was just kind of devastating to me in a lot of ways to be honest you know yeah um but the fact that she's feeling that way in the year 2021 we're talking about someone that died over 30 years ago with nico is pretty is pretty telling to the atmosphere that it is for a woman to be living in right now absolutely i have to go in a couple of minutes but let's yeah. uh, t- t- tell me some t- do you have any other questiones? i really oh, really oh yes tell wait me wait a minute
0: one more quick thing I was watching an interview with Charlie XCX and she would ask, Mm -hmm. and she was asked, what artist, living or dead, would you love to have a coffee with? And she was like, I just read Please Kill Me. And so I would say Iggy Pop, but I don't know if he'd have coffee. Like maybe he'd be something else, or maybe he's gone in the total opposite direction now and he's just super clean. But you are someone who has sat down with Iggy Pop. So I was just wondering if you wanted to give me a little tidbit about what that was like.
1: I love him. He's so wonderful and sweet and fantastic. And I adore him. And I adore his manager, Henry. Shout out to Henry. I love you, Henry. Um, That was really great that I got that through my friend Danny Fields. Danny Fields actually signed the Stooges and his Mm. old friends with Iggy. So that was from Danny. Love you, Danny. And, um, that was funny cause it was actually a phone call. It was not seen down, but it was a phone call. So I get on the phone. And one thing I really hate is when people are overly familiar, if I don't know them. So Iggy gets on the phone. I'm like, hello, Mr. Pop. And I called him Mr. Pop throughout the entire interview. And he was so sweet. He said to me, he said, I've always wanted to tell one person everything that I n- remember about Nico. And you're that one person. He's just a doll. Like he, I could not have been more thankful for him. And his manager, Henry, so sweet and wonderful. I mean, wonderful, wonderful. Someone else, this is a random one. Um, someone else that was great was Sinead O'Connor's managers, which is I didn't actually talk to Sinead. Excuse me. I didn't actually talk to Sinead, but her manager, so I said, Oh, can Sinead? I asked I asked for Sinead to give me a quote for Brittany. And Sinead had just put out her book, so she was too busy. But her managers were just really—I know it sounds weird—but like having her managers ask, like, "How are you doing? How's the promo process?" How it just I'm like, these people deal with Sinead O'Connor, and they're asking me how I am. Like, why do they care? Like, they were so so sweet, you know. um I love them. Just—I don't know. It's been the the Nico book. It'd be interesting to see what happens to Brittany because the Nico book. I've gotten to meet some people that. I really think are great humans, like Shirley Manson, you know Iggy, and I just I wonder if I'll meet other cool people. I mean, I already have Megan Radford, and like the Free Britney guys are great. I wonder if I'll get to meet other cool people that I don't know already through Free Brit for through being Britney.
0: Yeah. And also, I love that you name dropped Danny Fields because we stand Danny Fields in this house over here. Oh,
1: <laughs> I love he's coming to London soon. He sent me a text. I got it. In fact, I've not returned any of my texts from yesterday. I've got it. sent about, He is one of the most wonderful, sweet, generous, fantastic humans I know. So yeah, you can stand him away. He's a wonderful, wonderful human who should be stand. Absolutely. 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 And... And tell your parents, Henry Rollins, another person that should be stand. I love Henry Rollins with all my heart and soul.
0: Oh, yeah. He's I love what he's such a character, but he's also you can tell I love watching interviews with him now where you can tell that he's just such a Henry Rollins is just such a big normie who just wants to do his normie dad stuff. And I I just love it.
1: He's just a real friend and like, yeah. I've never met Henry Rollins. He's like the best pen pal you can ever wish for in a million years. So you'll see, I have a video, my intern's putting up a video of me talking about Henry Rollins, so you'll see me talking about him, me just nerding out. It's about the first time I got an email from Henry Rollins. It's hilarious because nothing ever phases my husband cause he's used to me being a dork about stuff, but literally the first time I got an email from Henry Rollins, it's like, oh my God, And my <laughs> husband's like, oh, that's great, honey, like that. So yeah, it's, it's really funny. Um, but do me a favor and just keep in touch. Let me know when you run this so I can put it on my socials. Okay. I'll
0: email you and Lizzie.
1: Okay, good. And if you need anything else, you let me know. Keep in touch though. Okay.
0: Yeah, we'll do. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Of course. Oh, I didn't say who I was. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I didn't say that. Don't want to do do that. Should I say who I am? You can put it in at the beginning. Sure. (laughs) Okay. Or you just, or will you just say it? Yep. Well, well I will. It, huh?
0: Yeah, I'll record an intro. Like today, I chatted with Jen, and okay. who was the author of this, this, and that, and an award winning professor. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, okay. All right. So, so don't, no I'll, just say, I'll just I'll just say um, thank you so much for having me, seriously, and then I'll say goodbye. Okay. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. You are so darling and cool and cute. And thank you, all the fab listeners out there. Please pick up Bean Brittany, Pieces of a Modern Icon, available November 11th.
0: Hi, going to be a. <laughs> gonna be a bestseller for sure i hope
1: so i hope so and um i can. my socials are i'm on instagram at just my name jennifer otter bickerdike thank you so much for having me on the pod
0: thank you for coming enjoy the rest of your day
1: okay and but seriously keep in touch with me okay well okay
0: sure. lots of love bye sweetheart bye bye Thank you for listening to Sounding Out with Izzy and thank you to Dr. Jennifer otter Bickerdyke for joining me. Remember to subscribe to my YouTube channel. My blog is izzyshutup.com. My Instagram page is girl's 2 soundsense and my Twitter is at misanthropei. Make sure to check out my Patreon and maybe subscribe. It's only $3 a month if you can. Thank you for listening once again and I'll see you in the next episode.